Anyway, let's get into the word, man. I'm excited about it. Today, I want to talk to you about the armor of God. Uh, there's been a few of you who have said to me, would you hurry up the message series because I'm already past you in the book. And so thank you for reading forward, all right, because then you can check me, all right? And so um, I'm happy about that. Uh, but today we're gonna talk about the armor of God and what that means. And what I wanna do this morning is I want to, I wanna paint a picture. So I need everyone this morning with me, if you will, to use the cinematic part of your mind um, to help develop a story. You guys ready? I'm gonna to read to you a story about the Apostle Paul, and I want us to use this, uh, this, this framework to paint a picture of what's going on in this day and how he wrote the book of Ephesians, okay? Now remember, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, okay? And, uh, and he did that most of the time all while he was in prison, okay? Everybody tracking with me? All right, here we go. So go with me on this journey. It's AD 62, and the Romans have imprisoned the Apostle Paul again. The scene is grim, with no ventilation or fresh air in his cell. The prison is hot and unbearably, unbearably humid. The stench of human waste impregnates the atmosphere. The weight of iron shackles that cusp Paul's hands and feet fatigue the frail body of this old man. Tight security prohibits blades, resulting in the prisoner's hair and beard growing unkempt and matted. Darkness prevails in the windowless cell, yet eventually, Paul's eyes adjust enough to painfully eke out four letters that will later be called the prison epistles. There's little visitation in this seemingly God-forsaken rat hole, except for the intimidating presence of the Roman guards who ruthlessly peer into the cells to check on the prisoners. In a strange way, these adversarial sentinels become a welcome contrast in the prisoners' lives as these lonely souls wrestle with their fate while waiting their sentencing from the merciless Roman magistrates. It's here that the Apostle Paul forged his letter to the Ephesians. In stunning contrast to his impoverished condition, he wrote Ephesians chapter one, verses one through four. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pause right there. If you and I were in that situation, would we be able to say grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> right? Most of us get upset when we don't get our coffee on time. Verse three. Thank you, Cheryl. Appreciate that. Now we know who to pray for. <laughs> Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption. So Paul's message is extremely clear. You can imprison my body, you can shackle my members and restrict my visitation, but you cannot lock up my joy, my blessing, or steal my inheritance. Paul was absolute. He was resolved with the foundation of Christ in his heart enough, even while he was still in prison, he still said, this is what God will do. And this is how he will protect me. Now, there's no mistake that I'm a true, hardcore, diehard Vikings fan. Come on, Lauren. Forget all these other Packer fans.
I think Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback in the NFL. I can see all you laughing at that. Thank you so much. But hear me out. I believe, by the way, I'm going to go to the evening practice tomorrow at TCO Performance Center. And I'm so excited about it. But Kirk Cousins, okay, now just go with me, okay? I'm going somewhere with this. Kirk Cousins is one of the best quarterbacks when everything around him is good. That's the contrast and the difference between him and Aaron Rodgers. You see, in Aaron Rodgers, your guys' line is so weak that it breaks down so fast. I've got the mic. I can say what I want. And <clears throat> I tease. And so Aaron Rodgers is running for his life while tossing that thing up in the sky and making uh, a throw that is just unbelievable throw to Devontae. No, not Devontae Adams anymore. I'm oh, sorry, guys. Um, to someone else. And it's just pretty amazing that that could happen. But Kirk Cousins, on the other hand, can't do that. He's not that great when it comes to that. However, he is the best quarterback when all, everything around him is just fine. When all the stars have aligned, the wind is just right, right? He got a kiss that morning from his wife, right? Everything is just perfect. Then, then Kirk Cousins is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, coming back to you and I, for some of us, it's the same for us and for our lives, right? We thrive our best when all of our conditions are right. When everything is perfect around us, it's when we feel like we can be the best us. It's when we feel victorious, when we feel powerful, not powerless, when everything around us is good when there's nobody at work to come down on you, when your, the, the kids or grandkids aren't getting on your last nerve, right? You actually like to be with them, right? All these things. If everything is around us is perfectly fine and everything's good, like Kirk Cousins, then we're the best person in control of our lives. But let me encourage you with something. True healing in your personal life comes in the moments when things aren't right. Come in the moments when things really aren't going your way. We call those moments triggers. A lot of people want to ignore the triggers in their lives because they want to, they, they, they say things like this, that's not of God. That's not God. That's not, no, I shouldn't be dealing with that. I am victorious. And we stand on this word that we're victorious, yet you keep feeling the same way that you're feeling even though you're claiming your victory. Let me encourage you with something that maybe, just maybe, let's consider for a moment that God is allowing those triggers to take place in your life because triggers will always equal healing. It would always point something out in you that needs to be surrendered to God. Right? Not to get rid of them, but to pay attention to them. If you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off and your first reaction is holding up the three fingers and say, read between the lines, buddy, then you have a trigger in your life that maybe needs to be paid attention to, that just maybe needs to be healed. See, many people's circumstances dictate their faith and stances on things. And when we allow those circumstances dictate our lives, we become powerless victims of other people's actions and attitudes. We become powerless victims. Listen, did God 
create you to be a victim, then why do we continue to be victims when it comes to other people's lives against us? It's a trigger, and it's something that we need to pay attention to. Most people wrongly believe that their circumstance or physical situation is their condition and their identity. This is who I am. The truth is this. You don't always have power over what happens to you, but you do have complete control over what happens in you. You don't always have power over what happens to you. You can't control the environment around you, even though we want to do that, even though we're accustomed to do that, right? But the reality is, is that you can't control what happens around you or happens to you. But however, because of God's grace and mercy in your life, you do have complete control over what happens in you. And in Ephesians, Paul depicts these three distinct seasons that he walked through in the verses in Ephesians. And then we're going to get to the spiritual significance of the armor of God. He uses the posture of sitting, walking, and standing metaphorically to represent these three seasons. See, in the early days of his imprisonment, Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. He said, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with you, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here are the three seasons. You guys taking notes? If you are, these are the three seasons. Season number one is sitting. Paul talks about sitting as a season in your life. What does sitting mean? These are the times when you are extremely confident in Christ. Had anybody ever experienced those before? Where you just are there and you know things are going really well. You feel close to God. These are the times where everything around you is going good. You're not battling anything. You're not going through any circumstance. And what a lot of people like to do is during this sitting season is they like to create drama in their life. They create it. (laughs) Because when we create drama, then we feel like we're in control of something. I know that's none of you guys in here, okay? I'm talking about someone else that's not here today. No, I'm just playing, (laughs) okay? But what I'm saying is this. In this season, in this sitting season, this rest season, I wanna encourage you, to take those times to really love God and to allow him to love on you because it won't be long until the battle comes to to your doorstep. It won't be long and God is just wanting you to know right now, personally, in my personal life, since I've been pretty transparent this whole time, is I'm I'm in a sitting season right now. I've gone through a battle and I feel like I'm in a perfect place right now where God is just showing me his richness and his goodness all over my life. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And maybe you're not in that sitting season. We'll get to the other seasons here in a moment. 
But if you are in that sitting season, don't cause the drama in your life so you can feel in control of something. Allow God to minister to your life. Allow him to work out the things that he needs to work out in you. Allow him to grow the roots down deep. Get in your word. Begin to pray. Begin to worship. Every single time, every single time you, you have some, a, a moment, put on some music, worship to God, sing in your car on the way to work, whatever the case is. Enjoy Jesus because he is Mr. Pleasure himself. And what he wants to do is you just to allow yourself to enjoy his presence in your life. That's called the sitting season. Paul describes a walking season. The walking seasons are marked by our initiatives to co-labor with God's divine purposes, to extend the borders of the kingdom into the lives of others. You see, as these winds of change blow over our lives, the elements inspire different attributes of God to emerge from our personhood. Hear what I'm saying. The time of sitting and resting in his grace has passed, and now is the time in this walking season, right, for his power to flow through our efforts as we walk out his high call in our lives. Maybe you've been in a sitting season, but maybe right now you're in a walking season where God is moving in your heart to become and to walk according to his purposes, to, to begin to show you who you really are in him. And that's going to require us to co-labor when he speaks, we do. Right now, there's some people very close in my life where they want to do something so, so, so bad, but God's saying, no, not yet. No, not yet. No, not yet. Look, just because it's good doesn't mean that it's always God. I know God's good. Amen? I know he's good. I will always celebrate his goodness. But we have to be in a position in this moment, in this season of our lives when we're walking, that we walk according to what he's saying to us, to co-labor with him so he can flow through us. And then there's the standing season. Now, back to the, the picture that we painted at the beginning of this message. In this standing season, so here's the Apostle Paul. Weeks had passed since he begun his letter to the church in Ephesus. And then those days, the apostles, Peter, John, James, all the apostles, right, they had a knack for escaping out of prison. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? The Holy Spirit would show up. Boom, the gates would open. The prison doors would open. Paul and Silas, they'd just be worshiping Jesus. Boom, shackles would fall off. They would literally disappear and show up on the doorstep of someone's house. They'd knock on the door and somebody would come out and go, oh, that's just Peter's angel. What? Have you, you guys know what I'm talking about in the scripture when it says that? Oh, that's just Peter's angel. No, 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 no. It's Peter coming out of a time where we prayed for him. It's amazing to me that a lot of the times we pray, you and I, we pray, but do we really believe that God will answer the prayer of what we're praying? And let me encourage you today that when you pray for freedom, for the shackles to be loose, do you really think that God didn't do it back then, that he won't do it today? He would do it today over your life. If you feel shackled, if you feel in bondage in some way, shape, or form, we have to come to Jesus, surrender, give it all to him, and allow him to break the shackles of addiction, shackles of our own thoughts, shackles of whatever might be over our minds, over our hearts, and allow him to break us free from prison. The Holy Spirit would show up in some crazy way. And like I said before, let me encourage you 
I believe that those crazy things are coming back to the church. There was a moment, there was a season within the church, especially within the revival streams where some crazy stuff happened, right? Some crazy stuff happened. Now I'm gonna say some stuff here in just a moment, but I want to, uh, warn's not the right word. <laughs> I want you to have an open heart to this, okay? Crazy stuff, back in the 90s. I mean, revivals breaking out in Toronto. Revival was breaking out in Brownsville. Anybody remember those times? 1995, right? I graduated high school in 1995. <laughs> I mean, stuff was going crazy. People were coming to Jesus by the droves. Stuff, weird stuff was happening. Gems were showing up. Angel feathers, gold dust, and gold nuggets were showing up all over the church and all these kinds of things, right? And you just go, and all of a sudden, seasons changed. Bloop. <laughs> And then now we go, what happened to all those things? I'm not gonna say that we're gonna go back to that because sometimes we focus way too much on the past and say we want that again, okay? When God's not there anymore, we wanna go back there because it made us feel good. What we're gonna see is what God's gonna do now in today's world, in this culture that we live in. And I want you in your heart to be prepared for whatever it is that God's gonna pour out. According to the word of God, this is what it says. In the last days, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will see visions in your dream and in your old men will dream dreams. And then we're gonna see the moon turn to blood and all this stuff's gonna happen. Listen, God wants to pour his spirit out upon all flesh. And I believe that we are living in the time. And I believe that this church, in this region, in this community, in this place, in this city is on the cusp of a mighty move of God. We're right there. We're about ready to get the pin needle and pop the balloon. But God is preparing the containers of his spirit right now. And that's you and that's me. He's preparing us, which is why if you feel like you've been going through a battle, if you feel like these triggers in your life have been highlighted, it's because God wants to shake out everything that's not of him so you can be prepared for the move of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I hope I'm preaching to somebody this morning. So here we go. Paul, while he was in prison, those Roman guards weren't taking any chances. They put these Roman guards at all exits and all places of entry. Remember, they would just leave <laughs> with no one seeing them. They would just walk out. So Paul, peering out of the cell, sees these armored guards and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to him. And now we get to the armor of God. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the what? full armor of God, so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world's forces of his darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Say that with me. The full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and view this and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now, before I talk about this spiritual significance, I want to draw your attention to a revelation. Weeks had passed since the apostle Paul had begun this book we now call Ephesians. Remember, he's in prison. And the spiritual seasons changed again. Remember, he went from sitting, from sitting to walking, from walking to now standing. This is the third season in your life. To stand firm. Paul is no longer talking about sitting in heavenly places nor is he encouraging us to walk at our high call. No, instead, we find him encouraging us to what? Stand firm. To stand firm. He says that when we have done everything to stand, what do we do? Stand firm. These words, stand firm, represent perilous times in our lives. When the goal of our Christian existence is simply just to hold our ground. And how many guys feel that within the last year or two that we've had to hold the line? That we've had to hold the line. We've had to hold our ground on the cultural things that are shifting in our culture. From all the things that are going on right now in our world. It's not time to back down. It's not time to go and scour away. And let me tell you what's happening right now within the church. This is why we need revival. Because what's happening in the church right now is this idea of, of allowing everything to happen is being in, in, in infiltrated very sneakily into the church, if that's even a word, into the church. And people's minds are beginning to think, oh, that's okay. We're beginning to allow ground to be taken from us. That's what's happening. We're allowing ground to be taken from us. Well, that's okay. We don't have any more lines in the sand. We don't have anything drawn anymore. And let me tell you, God is going to come back for a church who has the lines in the sand, who says, no, this is not righteous. This is not what God has intended. This is not God's call for the church. And we need to be alert to what's happening. I can't stand it when churches say, oh, no, you know, abortion is okay. Now, look, hear, hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. You got to know my heart on this. Please know my heart on this. If anything like that in your personal life has happened, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely none. We love you. We, we, we honor you. We want you to come to the love of Jesus Christ. Do not feel ashamed of anything that's happened. But I'm telling you right now, there's no room in the kingdom for us to even entertain a thought that it's okay to kill a baby. None. It's okay. It's okay. We can, you know, we're just exploring our genders. Nope. No. No. Why? Because your word says exactly what it is. Hear what I'm saying. You got to know my heart on this. Please understand what I'm saying. Some of you might walk out of here and my intention for you is not to offend you. Trust me, it's not. But it's to hold the line on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
If you are dealing with some confusion with SSA or with whatever, you got, if you don't know what that is, the same-sex attraction, if you're dealing with some of those things right now, I want you to know there's a Jesus who loves you yes. with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the only thing that he desires is to have a relationship with you. That's it. To show you who you really are. To set us free. To set me free. To set us free from the things that hold us in bondage. From the true identity that he has given us. These standing seasons in our lives can be described as seasons of warfare. When you've done everything and you've tried everything, you've done it all. You've prayed, you've fasted, you worshiped your heart out, you came to the altar, and it still doesn't seem like things are going your direction. Paul instructs us to stand firm in him, in Christ, and to put on the full armor of God. You guys ready for a fight? We lost, I think we've lost it in the church, man. You know? We've grown way too convenient for things going our way. I'm here to tell you right now, it's not going to be like that. We got to learn to put on the full armor of God. Number one, to gird your loins. You can play some music back there. I'm just about done. Very lightly. Number one, to gird your loins with truth. Every Roman soldier wore a wide, sturdy belt that he put on before any of his other armor. The belt supported his abdominal muscles and helped protect his midsection. See, the word for truth in this passage does not refer to the Bible, although the essence of, the, of all truth is the word of God. Amen? The word that's used here for truth is actually real. It actually means real. To be real, to be transparent, to come to him with all your hardships, to come to him with all your baggage, to come to him in the realness of who you are. See, many people hide behind a facade, never really allowing others to get to know them. And Paul, however, exhorts us to be honest, to live with integrity and be real with God and with people he has placed in our lives. Listen, dishonesty is an open door that will wreak havoc in our lives, especially during any kind of warfare season in your life. Dishonesty. We have to be honest. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, I'm sorry, the breastplate covered a soldier's heart and other vital organs. Our heart is the seat of our soul and the footstool of our spirit. When we received Jesus Christ, you and I went through a heart surgery, a heart transplant, if you will. And Jesus was a willing and loving donor of his own heart to you. Amen. See, we do not produce righteousness. Amen. We protect it. We don't produce righteousness. We protect it. And righteousness is a part of our new creation that we received as a gift. And the enemy would love to convince us that our heart is wicked and our ways are evil. But I don't know about you, but that devil, he's a lying accuser. Amen. <laughs> he's a punk. Punk devil, you know I hate you. Because every single time he made me think it was cool to imitate you. 
had me going this way, had me going that way. But little did I know that one day, I forgot the rest of the words. I actually wrote that rap song. Lauren, you laugh every single time I saw you used to do rap music. There she is again. See, the enemy would love to convince us that our heart is wicked, but the righteousness of God is the breastplate of every Christian's life. So don't worry. He's got you covered. God's got this. Say that with me. God's got this. He's got this. He's got you. Number three, the sandals of peace. The sandals Roman soldiers wore had cleats on the bottom, much like our football cleats in today's world. This provided stability in combat. And I heard this phrase and I thought it was the most clever thing. Instead of the sandals of peace or our feet shod with peace, we actually call them the cleats of peace. The cleats of peace. These cleats of peace help us in times of war to stay connected to our understanding, our foundation, which is love. Our foundation has to be love. Come on, somebody. When we love those who hate us and pray for those who persecute us, what we do is we actually extend the gospel of peace to a godless and destructive world. Number four, the shield of faith. A Roman shield was constructed with a wooden frame and covered by a thick layer of leather. Often the leather was soaked with water to make it fireproof to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. Come on. The shield was there that was, it was three or four feet tall and two feet wide. This made it large enough that a soldier could crouch down behind it and protect his entire body. Then a regiment of soldiers together could overlap their shields and create a wall of fortification from the enemies. See, we are called believers for a reason. Amen? We're called believers for a reason. Ultimately, the real war is waged on the battlefield of faith. The simple but profound question is this, who, whom do we believe? Will we believe the enemy's accusations over our lives? Will we believe our circumstances? Will we believe even our well-meaning friends? Or Or will we believe God and what he says? got friends in your life that will try to justify the things going on in your life. We have to decide, will we believe what God says more than what anything else around me says? See, 38 times in the New Testament alone, the phrase, the faith, is used to describe our walk with God. But make no mistake about it, the demonic realm is out to steal our faith. But whom do we believe in? And better yet, who believes in us? I suggest to you this morning that Jesus actually believes in you more than you believe in him. That God believes in you more in carrying his name than we actually believe in him. He trusts you. Why does he trust you? Because he loves you. Number five, the helmet of salvation. The Romans had a couple of different kinds of helmets. One was made of leather, and the other one was, uh, one was made of leather with metal plates sewn into it, and another type was cast from one solid piece of metal in the shape of the warrior's head. Now, Mike, you'll like this. 
There's a great story of a Roman soldier named Brutus Maximus who fought a violent battle with his entire face covered with a mask of steel. He did not cast the mask in his own image. Instead, he molded it in the image of his emperor, Caesar Augustus. Wearing it not only protected his face and his eyes, but said to his enemies, oh, this is so good. I see you through my emperor's eyes. I represent him on this battlefield. I am fighting for his glory. The enemy will do whatever it takes, hear me, to steal our confidence and undermine our relationship with God. But a head covered with the helmet of salvation will rest by the still waters of kingdom mentality. It's called this, walking and leading with a peaceful heart, with a peaceful mind, with a quiet mind, because faith rests upon quiet shoulders where we simply just say and we trust God through it all. This last weekend, one of my heroes in the faith, actually where Samuel's going to school at, Benny Johnson, the wife of Bill Johnson, actually her, his wife passed away from cancer. And one thing throughout the whole funeral service, I didn't sit there and watch it all, but the little parts that I did, one thing throughout the whole stream of things was this, the simple trust that she had that God was gonna take care of every situation. She was an intercessor. She's someone that prayed, went into her quiet place. They used to say about her that she was shy. Look, let me tell you, don't allow the enemy to identify you as someone who's shy, who's just this. Maybe you're that way because God created you to be a warrior in the prayer room. Number six, then I'm done. The sword of the spirit, my favorite weapon. The Roman word or the Roman sword was actually an 18 inch long knife, razor sharp on both edges. It was used in hand to hand combat. The word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, does not specifically refer to the Bible in this passage. We have the Bible and I want us to hear what I'm about to say. We have the word of God in our hands, amen? We can, we, can, we can learn from that. We can glean off of that. We should get it in our hearts. Your word is hidden in my heart, okay? But the Greek word here for the word of God is actually the word rhema, which means God breathed. If Paul were simply talking about the Bible being the sword of the spirit, he would have used the Greek word logos, which means the logic of God. So I'd like to suggest to you today that the word of God that we use to judge the thoughts and intentions of our own heart is a different sword than the one we use to defend ourselves against demonic assaults. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the logos of God, the word of God, the logos of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that the Bible is the standard by which all thoughts and intentions of the heart should be judged. Come on, somebody. But Paul is making a different point here in, Ephesus, in, in Ephesians. He's telling us that listening to the Holy Spirit and prophetically proclaiming what he says is our only offensive weapon of warfare. That's what Paul is describing to us. All 
of our offensive firepower is in the Holy Spirit. He protects us, He comforts us, He teaches us, and the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And when all hell breaks loose in your life, we, you and I, must stay close to heaven by cultivating a relationship with God's Spirit. So if you're dealing with a certain circumstance or issue in your life, let me encourage you, go to the Word of God. Every answer that we have, the Bible is simply this. You've heard me say it multiple times. The basic instructions before leaving earth, right? That's what the Bible is. But when paired with the voice of the Holy Spirit, it empowers the Word to cut and divide between the situations that are going on in your life. Sometimes we just need a fresh word from God. Sometimes we just need God to speak to us. And maybe it's been a long time since you've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit over your life. I want you to know that God loves to talk to you. He loves to chitter-chatter with his people. He loves to share with them secrets. He loves to share with them ideas and inventions and revelations. So as I end, when we apply the full armor of God, it's more than just pieces that we should apply or even just resources. No, the full armor of God, what it is, is a relationship with the master, with the king, to be like him. Taking on Jesus upon yourself, to clothe yourself with him, is literally living with the full armor of God because God himself is our protector. He's our defender and he will fight for us. So let me encourage you today to stand firm. If you're going through a battle season in your life right now, if you're going through a, a standing season, stand firm. The doctor's report wasn't what you expected. The addiction came back. The things in your life that you thought were gonna be over actually are still circling around you. I wanna encourage you today don't give up. Stand firm in Him. Be rooted in Him. Listen to the Holy Spirit over your life and allow Him to speak to you and through you over your situation. You are the prophet of your own home. Act like it. Prophesy over your home. You got kids that don't love God? Prophesy over them. What I mean by prophesying is not some get your cane out, right? And with the big long beard. That's not what I'm saying. It's simply saying, listen to the voice of God and declare it over your household. Declare it over your finances. Declare it over your home. Declare it over what's going on in your life. Because there's power when you partner with God. If you're dealing with doubts, hardships, questions, anxiety, or fear, stand firm. So what I want to do this morning as we close is I want to pray for protection in our hearts and minds. So if you can, you can just stand with me, please. And I want us just to simply just repeat this prayer. My prayers don't mean a thing. <laughs> They're just a guide. But I'm praying this over my life, so apparently they mean something to me. So just say, Father, today I stand firm on your promises. I apply the full armor of God 
on my mind, on my chest, the belts around me, my feet, everything that I am is yours. Help me today. In Jesus' name, amen.